everyone, welcome to Slate Church Online. We're so glad that you would join us for church today. My name is Jared Moore. I'm one of the site pastors here at Slate Church and I have the honor to serve under our four lead pastors, pastors Brandon and Emma Richardson and pastors Luke and Victoria Becker. And hey, if this is your first time here today, we would love to get to know you, to connect with you. There's gonna be a little button popping up in the chat if you're watching this live on the side there and it just says connect on it. We'd love for you to click that to fill out our digital connect card, get a little information and we would love to chat with you further. And if you've been coming to Slate Church for a while, we would love for you to invite somebody today. Uh, again, a little button will pop up in the chat if you're watching this live that just says invite. We'd love for you to click on that, share it to your Facebook, send a link to somebody and have them join with us. But we're gonna start our service today with a time of worship. So why don't we, wherever you find yourself, maybe stand up, raise your hands, clap along, whatever that looks like for you today, let's worship together.
lost a heart to life It's an anthem in the making Can you feel it start to rise? Can you hear the generations Getting louder over time? Every son and every daughter Singing out into the night It's now time to be silent Don't you dare hide your light There's a world outside your window So don't let it pass you by Lift your hands to the heavens Lift your voice to the sky Praise the Lord of all creation Let His name be lifted high Sing it
outside your window so don't let it pass you by lift your hands to the heavens lift your voice to the sky praise the lord of all creation let his name be lifted high. People come together Strangers, neighbors, our blood is one. Children, generations of every nation of kingdom come. So don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high, don't fear no. Pure hearts, good grace, good God. His name.
Hey, what an incredible time of worship that we just had. Every week we take time after we worship to read out some of the prayer requests that have come in throughout the week, some of the needs that exist in our community. Hey, if you've got a prayer request or you got something that you're praying for or believing for, look, we would love to pray alongside you in that. And so there's a little uh, thing popping up in the chat right now. There's a link there. You can submit a prayer request there. You can submit a praise report of what God has done, but we would love to pray alongside you. We pray for these at our prayer mornings on Thursday morning. We pray for these here in the service and we pray for them throughout the week as well. And so why don't you just go ahead and submit one of those uh, prayer requests and we'd love to pray alongside you. But some of the ones that have come in this past week, we're praying for someone who's writing their final exams this week. We're praying for focus and dedication as they write them. We're praying for provision of a new job for somebody. We're praying for healing for someone who's struggling with their mental health and anxious thoughts. Look, these are just a few of them and they represent some different situations and I'm sure you've got some different situations on the other side of this screen. And so uh, if you feel comfortable, why don't you just stretch a hand uh, to agree as we pray together over each of these. And if you've got a need of your own in your life, why don't you go ahead and stretch your other hand forward. We're gonna pray over these together. Dear God, we thank you that we can come to you with our needs, that we can come to you with our prayer requests, God, and that you actually hear each of these requests as we bring them to you today, God. And I thank you that you don't just hear them, God, but you're actually able to move in each of these situations. And so we pray for focus for those that need focus this week as, as their exams are coming. We pray for those that are looking for financial provision and a job. God, we pray that you would open doors there. We pray for those that are struggling with loneliness and mental health and, and anxiety, God. We pray that you would quiet minds uh, across this place, God. And we just pray that on the other side of this screen, whatever Whatever the need is that's represented there, God, we pray that you would move in that situation, that you would move in their life, God, and that we would see a new thing that you're doing in each of these situations. We love you and we thank you and ask all of this in your name. Amen. We also take time to read out some of the praise reports that people have submitted to celebrate what God has done in some of the situations. And so we've got some this week. I'll read them for you. Someone's thankful that they were able to make their last payment on their student loans. How incredible is that? Let's celebrate that. That must be a huge relief off of your shoulders. So congratulations on that. Someone's thankful for the Home Blind series at Slay. I know I'm also thankful for the Home, Home Blind series here. Someone's thankful for sunny days. Amen. And hey, wherever you find yourself today, maybe you're watching by yourself, maybe you got some family around, maybe you're with your, your spouse or your kids, or maybe you have a friend over today, part of your bubble or whatever that looks like, and you're watching this together. Why don't you take a minute, just say hi to each other. And uh, and if you're, if you're by yourself, why don't you grab your phone, take a moment and just send a text message to encourage somebody today. Tell them that you're thinking about them and tell them that uh, just something that you love about them. Just encourage them today as you, uh, as you just in this moment, as you reach out. Hey, we also take time in all of our services to highlight generosity. One of our core values as a church. And so to encourage us in our generosity today, would you welcome Pastor Emily Lambert. Hey church, every week here at Slate Church, we take some time to take a look at what the Bible has to say about generosity and how we can apply that to our everyday lives. So I'm gonna jump right in here to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And essentially what Paul is saying in this passage is that, you know, wealth and money, they're so uncertain. And I don't know about you, but this feels especially true in 2020. I know a lot of us are experiencing a lot of fear and anxiety about what the future is going to look like. What will the economy look like? Will I have my job tomorrow? Will there be an emergency in my family? And am I going to have to dip into my finances? Um, if we're gonna put our hope and our identity in our money, 
be a pretty shaky foundation. After all, the money in our bank accounts, it comes and it goes. But when we put our hope and our trust in God, on the other hand, everything changes. We have a hope and, a, and an identity that are based on a foundation that is unshakable and unmovable because we serve an unchanging God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that's why Paul goes on to say, in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You know, our actions are only going to go so far, our words are only going to go so far without action. You know, if your friend told you that they were moving, you could say, hey, can I help you move? I'd love to help you move. But if you're not gonna put that time in your calendar to prioritize it, if you're not gonna show up on moving day, you know, your words only mean so much if you're not willing to back it up with action. And in the same way, you know, if we're going to say, God, hey, God, I trust in you. I believe in you. I put my hope in you. I know you're going to provide for me. You know, we need to back up those words with actions. And a way that we can do that is through generosity, being generous to the people around us and being generous to our church. So if you'd like to give to Slate Church today, there'll be a few options that are gonna come up on the screen in just a moment. Um, before that, I just wanna pray over our giving today. And as I pray, I just encourage you, do a bit of a heart check. Do you trust in God? And are you willing to put the action required to demonstrate how much you believe and trust that God will provide for you? Let's pray today. God, I just thank you so much for our church, God. I thank you so much for the people of our church and their willing and giving hearts, God. I just pray over the giving that comes in today, God, that you would bless it, that you would multiply it to build your kingdom here on earth, Lord, and that we wouldn't just say that we trust in you. We wouldn't just say that our identity is in who you say we are, God, but we would actually put in the effort and the action to demonstrate that in our everyday lives. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, I'm excited to share with you now some of the things that are happening in the life of Slate Church, some of the announcements that we have. And today's announcement is actually really, uh, really cool. I'm excited to share it with you. And so basically, as you all know, we've been doing church online in the way that we've been doing it for quite a while now, nearly five months uh, this week. Isn't that insane to think about? And so it's been about five months of doing church online and the team has done a phenomenal job pivoting to actually set up a really great experience for us to be able to do a lot of the things that we do online. They've done a great job with that. And honestly, God has been moving still in our church and in our community through this season. We've seen people that we've been praying for for years as individuals come and actually make a decision to follow God because they could tune in really simply from home where they might have been intimidated to join in person. We've seen people all over the world tune into our services online and not just tune in for those Sundays, but actually join connect groups and build community. And God has actually been doing really, really powerful things through this season of church online. And in all of this though, we recognize as a church that one of the core elements of what we do is actually to gather, to worship together, to pray together. And that's been really, really challenging to do uh, because of physical distancing and all the parameters around um, COVID-19. And so as a church, we've worked really hard to prioritize the health of the people in our church, as well as the health of the people in the community of the region of Waterloo. And so really we've been doing our best to, to keep people safe and not just keep people safe, but still do a lot of the things that we do as a church, like our Sunday services online, like prayer mornings every Thursday morning that we're doing virtually, like summer school that's still running, but doing it virtually. And all of this being done within the context and the parameters that have been laid out by the government, both locally and provincially. And so recently we've noticed, as I'm sure you've noticed, a lot of things have 
worked hard and found ways to reopen in some capacity, whether that be um, restaurants or movie theaters or bowling alleys, places are finding ways to open again. And as a church, we've looked at, hey, how can we find ways to actually gather in person? Working with public health, as we've seen the, the number of cases in this region continue to decline, and not just that, but we haven't seen any major outbreaks. And so we're starting to ask that question, what does it look like for us to possibly gather, uh, you know, occasionally, or what does it look like to gather together in person? And so I'm really thrilled to announce, I'm, I'm extremely excited to announce that at the end of August, the, the last few weeks of August, we're gonna be having a week of prayer and worship. And this is actually gonna have uh, three nights, the 25th, the 26th, and the 27th of August, where we're actually gonna meet in person together in Maxwell's for a night of worship and prayer, both on the 25th, the 26th, and the 27th. And so we're really excited to be able to announce that, thrilled to even just like say these words. And so uh, I hope that as we're sharing this, you're getting excited. And, and of course, we're still working with public health to find out what does that look like to gather together? How do we do that safely? How do we protect people in that? And, uh, and kind of just getting a better grasp and understanding of how we can do this with a level of safety, but actually being able to gather and to engage and find a way to be able to do that even in this season. And so really thrilled about it. We're gonna obviously have to limit the amount of people that can come to these. So there's gonna be an online registration and we would love for you to sign up. It's at slatechurch.com slash worship. And so you can go there, you can sign up. I know as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm gonna jump online, I'm gonna sign up, but we would love to see you there. There's gonna be three nights where you can sign up for. And hey, as we're still trying to find out numbers and things, we'd love for you to just start by signing up with one and we'll see if there's more space, but there'll be more details to come and more details around how to stay safe and what to bring and all of these things. We'll send them in emails as you register, but really would just love for you to register. We're really excited to be able to uh, actually share with you guys that we're gonna be able to do this. Uh, really looking forward to it. And so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big announcement for this week. We're really thrilled to be able to share that with you guys. And we're gonna continue doing our online services with strength as we have been, but really looking forward to an opportunity to worship together, to pray together in person at Maxwell's at the end of August. And I think that's actually the major announcement that we have for this week. There's not like, obviously, make sure you're following social media for anything that's coming out week to week. We've got the forum daily still happening. We've got prayer mornings on Thursdays. We've got communion on Fridays, and that's all uh, phenomenal stuff. We'd love for you to tune in. We're really excited to share uh, what's gonna be happening in August with you. And now I have the honor and privilege of uh, welcoming our, our guest speaker for this week. So as you know, we're in our Home Blind series. Really looking forward to the message being brought today. It's a, a huge friend of the House of Slate Church. We got Pastor Caleb Davidson from My Church Ottawa and really looking forward to the word that he's gonna bring to us today. Hi, what's up, Slate Church? Pastor Caleb coming at you all the way from my church, Ottawa, and obviously sending huge love on behalf of my wife and I to all of you who are tuning in and teaming up with us. Big, warm welcome. Um, hey, listen, on behalf of your pastors, Brendan, Emma, Luke, and Victoria, I've been asked to come share a word with you guys around a series that you've been having called Homeline, and we'll speak a little bit more about that in a moment, but I gotta give a few seconds to your pastors. I love these guys so much. Great friends of ours, great friends of our house here in Ottawa as well. We love and appreciate them so much. Honestly, it's so good to have people that you kind of do life shoulder to shoulder with. And honestly, I'm inspired by not only their marriages and their relationships together, but by who they are and what they're about. They're the most transparent, real and authentic people that I pretty much know. And uh, I'm so grateful for these guys and obviously incredibly inspired by you guys as a community and all that they put their hand to here at Slate Church. Man alive, you guys, what is happening in Waterloo Kitchener is not normal. And I just believe that you guys are a part of a move of God. I believe that what God is doing 
doing is so tremendous. And I'm just praying for all of you today that you never grow familiar with what it is that God is doing in your midst. And that's actually a little bit of what I want to talk about in our Home Blind series, a series all about what it is to live blind to some things at home that can maybe use some attention and some use some fixing. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, inertia can kind of take its toll, right? And we can kind of get familiar and grow accustomed to some things in our house that clearly need some fixing. But over time and familiarity, that which needs fixing kind of just blends into the landscape and we kind of forget about it. It's not until someone new with fresh eyes comes into our home that we can go, oh man, that looks really terrible. I should do something about that. I wonder in your life if there's anything like that that needs some attention. There needs some showing up in this season. Well, I've been asked by your pastors to come and share with you a little bit about what it means to respect and honor God's house. Man, my prayer is that none of us would ever grow familiar with the house of God, that we'd always be found showing the proper amount of honor to the house of God that is necessary so that we can continue to see miracles flow and the power, miracle working power of God continue to just kind of pour out of our, of our doors and, and from the lives of each and every one of them, a, a person who calls our homes, our houses, our churches home. You know, in Mark chapter six, I believe there's an incredible steer, uh, you know, kind of scripture of what it is to be home blind. It's a, it's a scripture where Jesus is coming home to his hometown. He's been living in Capernaum where he set up his base of operations. He set up his ministerial headquarters in Capernaum in, this, in, the, in the Sea of Galilee region. And he's coming after a, a large speaking tour where he's become, obviously his virtue has become known to many people. He's healing the sick, raising the dead. And marked by Mark chapter six, where he's well on his way to filling out coliseums and people are coming with crowds of people, the lame and the sick, to see that Jesus could heal them. So his news is spreading about who he is and what he's able to do. And in Mark chapter six, Jesus decides, you know what? I need a break from all the craziness. Let's go back home and see everyone that I grew up with. So this is, you know, coming off his belief tour, this is kind of going back to Stratford, you know what I'm saying? And it says that Jesus went back into his hometown where he'd grown up and his disciples followed him there. It says when the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue in Nazareth and began to teach as he'd done elsewhere. And many of those who heard him were astonished. Now get this, you're going to catch something really, really interesting here. You're going to find that Jesus, even though he's home, so many people live blind to the greatness of what is in him and on him. How many of you guys know Jesus, when he was home, people were home blind to Jesus. They were home blind and failed to give the honor to whom honor was due. This is the one who in the scriptures, by the way, in Hebrews chapter three, they describe Jesus as the builder of the house and who is worth more honor than the house itself. Here Jesus enters into the house in which he is worthy of more honor than itself. And he's finding himself dishonored. And as a result, his that dishonor uh, disables the hand of God from being able to release the miracle working power of God. It says those in the synagogue, when they, when they saw Jesus come and preach and they were astonished, they says, well, where did he gain all this wisdom? And what are all these stories we've been hearing about the signs and the healings he's performed? Where did he get that kind of power anyways? Isn't this just Jesus? Look at that low ball. Isn't this just Jesus, the son of the carpenter? And didn't he grow up in Joseph's carpenter shop? Didn't he grow up to be a carpenter just like his father, like father, like son? Why isn't he following in his footsteps? Isn't he the son of Mary? Just over there, the son of James and Joseph, Jose and Ju Judas, Simon and, this, and his sisters. Well, who does he think he is? I think that's interesting is that Jesus, who is worthy of more honor than the house itself, finds himself so dishonored when he comes in and starts to operate and exercise the authority and operate in the mantle and the gift and the grace across his life. And when he had thought about it, when, when the people had thought about who they thought he was, when they thought about it that way, that he's just Joseph's son and Mary over here, they became indignant and closed themselves off to his message. Isn't that just so much like human nature? Isn't that so like people that sometimes proximity is what creates the problem? 
Sometimes people, the reason they're offended at you is because they think they know you. And yet they fail to recognize the God call, the God grace, the mantle that rests on the man. They, they, they cannot see the mantle from the man in this case. And as a result, they are unable to receive from Jesus and receive his message that God had for him. Even though everywhere else, Jesus is raising the dead, healing the sick and seeing great virtue come uh, about as a result. These people are stifled and stuffed and they, Jesus, it says, struggles to heal even a common cold. Look what he says. He says, so when they thought about it, they closed themselves off. They couldn't take it in his message. So Jesus, seeing this, responded by saying, you know, a prophet can find anywhere. He can find honor anywhere except in his own town, among his own people, in his own household. He could not do any of his great works among them except with, heal a few sick and whom he heal, whom he healed by laying on of the hands. And he was amazed, it says, by the stubbornness of their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. Did you know that only twice... In the New Testament, did Jesus say he was amazed at great faith? And in this case, amazed at their un unbelief, their lack of faith. So three instances where Jesus is amazed. One is with the Roman centurion, where he says, man, I'm a man of great authority. I can tell one go and one come, and they'll do as I say. And so he says to Jesus, you just tell your angels to go and or to come, and, and you can heal my servant who's sick at home. And Jesus says, whoa, I've not met anyone, even in Israel, with such great faith. And he was amazed. See, something interesting about that story. Jesus labeled this man who had as someone who had great faith. Then there's the woman who was a Gentile woman uh, who came to Jesus and said, hey, my, my, my son is, is being tormented by an evil spirit at home. Would you come and heal him? And she, he says, hey, listen, I, I didn't come here for the Gentiles. I came here for the Jews. And so he goes, it's not right to give bread uh, that belong to the children to the dogs. And she goes, yes, but even some of the crumbs from the table fall off the children's table and the dogs eat of the crumbs. And that was a moment where obviously it's a bit nuanced and parable speak, but Jesus looks at her and goes, whoa, you mean you still have faith to receive from me even though I didn't come from you? And you see me like that so much that you could, you perceive me in that capacity so much that you could receive from me in this moment and believe that I could heal your sin. He goes, wow, I have not seen such great faith even in Israel like this as well. Woman, your faith is strong. And he was amazed as well at her faith. You know what's commonality between the centurion and this woman is that they were both outsiders. They didn't live in Israel. And isn't it amazing how Jesus in this scripture says prophets go without honor in their own country, in their own households. You know, I think that sometimes it's easy to give honor to people we don't know because proximity, see, creates problems. We don't always see people the way we ought to because we know them too well. And maybe the reason that you're offended at such and such a person or such and such a leader or such and such a, uh, is not because what they said was actually wrong. Maybe they do have the wisdom of God in that moment. Maybe your parents, maybe you failed to weigh the wisdom that they gave you. But because of proximity, you weren't able to receive them. You were offended at their message, even though such and such a parent or such and such a mentor or such and such a celebrity on Instagram said such and such a thing that was very similar. You received it from them, but not from the, from the people in your world. Why? Because I think that sometimes honor, it, it, proximity creates problems. In this case, in Jesus's case, that's exactly what we see. And my prayer for each and every one of us today is that we would find ourselves coming into the house of God and not allow, uh, you know, our lack of honor for the house of God and respect for the house of God and for the people in it to cause us to forfeit and lose out on what God has. In this case, it says that these guys lost faith and grew cynical and critical uh, of Jesus. They, they didn't have faith in Jesus. Now, why didn't they have faith in Jesus? Because of what they saw. You see, their, what they saw of Jesus was, isn't this just Joseph's son, isn't this just Mary's son, the son of the carpenter? Isn't he just the son of the uh, son of a carpenter? And they could not get past the fact that he was a man 
to receive him in the mantle that God had placed on him. And it just goes to show you that, hey, perception is everything. Labels sometimes can keep people from receiving who you are. Even Jesus in Matthew 16 said, who do men say that I am? And Peter looked at him and said, you're the son of God, the Christ. He goes, blessed are you, Peter, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And upon this revelation of who I am, I will build my church. How many of you guys know Jesus decided to build his church on people who perceived him right? And I don't know about you, but when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to leaders in your life, leaders, if you're out there, you can only build on people who see you correctly and, and recognize the mantle in your life. Otherwise, just like Jesus, you might find yourself home blind, find yourself at home and amidst the people who are blind to all that's in you and on you. And my prayer for each and every person tuned in here today is that God would illuminate not only your understanding, but the eyes of those around you to start recognizing the greatness of God in and around you, that you would not go through life failing to respect and honor the people that God has placed around you because they seem common or ordinary. Did you know that the word where it says Jesus went without honor in his hometown is the word atomos, atomos, and it means to treat as common or ordinary. When we dishonor, all it means is to treat them as just like everybody else. It means to treat them as common or ordinary. And you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can fail to see the value of the people that God has placed in and around us because we fail to recognize the handiwork of God in and through their lives. I know there's another story. I love the Antique Roadshow. It's a show that it was a popular program back in the day, and I'm not even sure if it still airs or not, but back in the day, I used to love this show. It was a show all about people who would come to a warehouse where they had a whole bunch of, of uh, you know, basically antique specialists who would appraise people's junk, whether it was inherited from a grandfather or a grandparent, or, or whether it was, you know, just found at some local, like, you know, garage sale or whatever. People would bring in all their collector's items and antiques and, and get these specialists to appraise them. And every once in a while, you know, Know, somebody's trash that they were throwing on the curbside would turn out to be somebody else's treasure, quite literally, and be worth tons of money. And there'd be these collector's items or whatever. Well, there was this one, uh, you know, um, painting that got brought in that was actually supposedly worth, it was the most high grossing painting that had ever come across the show since 1977 or whatever. And it was a painting of a military artist by the name of William Orpin. He was a military artist designed in World War One, you know, deployed from America to go to, uh, you know, uh, you know, Europe. And on the Western Front, he was he was called to go and paint there. Well, obviously, he was under strict, you know, kind of rules and regulations as he was there for the military that he was forbidden to do any private work. Well, story has it that basically this military painter grew fond eyes for this French girl, and he who was the mayor's daughter of uh, uh, the mayor of Lily or whatever. I'm not Lyle or Lily. I'm not. Sure, forgive me, guys. I don't know how to say it. But the bottom line is, is that he ends up painting this girl. Well, word gets back to America that he's been doing private work. He gets court-martialed, and the guy who court-martials him, basically reprimands him, but then he ends up striking a friendship with him. And the guy who court-martials him and kind of is, is reprimanding him, says cuts a deal with Orpin and basically says, listen, if you paint me one of those paintings yourself, a second copy for me, I'll let you off the hooks. And so he goes back to Europe and he paints him a second one and obviously doesn't sign his name quite as openly as he did the first and the original because he doesn't want to get court-martialed again and find himself in deeper trouble. So he kind of hides his signature in a real clever, discreet way. Well, so word has it that, you know, the original painting is in the Imperial, Imperial War Museum in, 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 in Britain. And basically, uh, 
the, the story has it this man uh, walks in, uh, you know, taking a painting off. His uncle had bought this painting and he'd had it hung up in a suburban home in London uh, for many years. And he just brought it in and said, I just wanted, I was curious if this is worth anything. I think it's just a copy of a copy of a copy. But, you know, I couldn't help but see the detail in the painting and the canvas it was on. It looked pretty legit. So I just wondered what it was worth. Well, it turns out that this man, unbeknownst to him, did not have a copy of a copy of a copy. He has the second original painting of this painting in which even William Orpin himself described as a warmer painting. He has the original in which he made for the guy who court-martialed him. And so he somehow became, a, you know, a possessor of this painting over the years and had it hung up in his home. Well, the appraiser, the antique specialist, looks at the man with the painting and says, do you have any idea how much this painting is worth? He goes, no, I have no idea. Thousand, two thousand pounds? And the man looks at me and goes, sir, I'm very pleased to tell you that your painting is worth over 250,000 pounds. British pounds. The man completely stunned and staggered. It says, kind of staggered out of the place with the painting and said, my goodness, the painting was worth more than the house it was hung in. And I don't know about you, but man, what is it in your life that you have failed to recognize the value of? What is it, what is it someone or something that's hanging around and hanging up in your house that you've hung up in your house that you failed to recognize the value of because you didn't recognize the signature in the bottom. It says that the appraiser pointed out to the, to the signature at the bottom. He says, if you look at this, it says Nepro Melu, Nepro Melu. And he goes, if you really pay attention, Nepro is Orpin spelled backwards. Melu is William spelled backwards. So it was William, if you read it from left to right rather than right to left, or left to right. Uh, and from right to left, it spelt William Orpin. He goes, sir, this goes to show you that this is actually a true original painting. And because of the signature, we can now verify its value. Hey, how many guys know that in your life, we are the handiwork of God himself. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I don't know about you, but the signature of God rests across every single life, every single person that you're standing next to. My prayer for each and every one of us is that when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to all that we're a part of, that we'd understand not only is the house of God, God's idea and his handiwork. The Bible says in First Kings 9, that the church, the house of God, God says this about the house of God, that my I have consecrated this house, my eyes will be on it and my heart will be in it always always having an eternal kind of perspective on it. His heart is in it and his eyes are on it always. Jesus says, zeal for your houses consume me. He says, it, it, it is like, a, it is like a, a, a fire inside and it eats me up from the inside. It's a passion and it burns on the inside and eats me up on the inside. Zeal for your house consumed me. You know, I, I don't know about you, but Jesus says, you know, he loved the church so much that he laid his life down for her. I guess what I'm trying to stress with the point I'm trying to, to kind of make in this sermon here today is that we never grow familiar with the people and the, the, the things and the people that God has surrounded us with. It could be so easy to look beyond like, you know, Israel did with the outsiders. The outsiders have greater faith to look beyond our four walls and think, man, out there is greatness. You know, that preacher and that, that guy and this gal or whatever, they're the ones we need to look to and overlook the very people that God has placed all around us. My, my prayer is that we'd recognize that God has put a mantle. He has graced people with gifts and talents all around you that are literally designed to be divine partnerships to 
propel you into the promises of God across your life. And so my prayer is that we never, like Jesus in his hometown, fail to recognize the Messiah in their midst, fail to recognize the man of God or the woman of God in your midst that is speaking the words of wisdom to you that can help direct you and correct you and lead you into the promises of God across your life. Hey, I don't know about you, but sometimes just like the antique roadshow, we can grow so familiar that we fail to recognize the value of the, some of the things and the people hanging around in our house. My prayer for us is that just like the people that we would not allow familiarity to cause us to lose faith and grow cynical and critical of the people that God has placed in and through our lives. You know what, Jesus, I believe that their unbelief was directly tied to what they saw of Jesus. It was directly tied to what they saw. When they saw Jesus, they didn't see much. They just saw the son of a carpenter, the son of Mary. They didn't see the Messiah, the son of God. You know, even Peter, like I said earlier, Jesus said, who, who do you say they am? You're the son of God. The, you know, the, you're the Christ, the son of God. Upon this, I will build my church. See, it's very hard for the miracle working power of God to flow and operate in our lives when we fail to exercise faith in the people that God has graced. When God has put a mantle on a man, I pray that we'd always see people regard no one according to the flesh, the Bible says, but everyone according to the new creation in Christ Jesus. When we respect and honor the house of God, I believe it starts with us recognizing greatness on the people around us, recognizing the mantle that God has placed on each and every person around us and saying, whoa, you're a world-class leader. You're not just Waterloo class. You're you're world-class. You hit the four corners of the earth kind of style. You're a leader of leaders. And I know one thing about the people of your house is that you guys have got so much talent, so much anointing. There's not just people that have been appointed. Man, there are some people in your house that have been so anointed for such a time as this. And so my prayer is that you never lose your sense uh, of, of, uh, of faith in the house. You know, the second thing I want to just point out that you can sometimes lose um, in your and when we fail to honor the house of God, the word atomos, it means to treat as common or ordinary. When you fail to, when you start treating the house of God common and ordinary, you'll fail to recognize the man or woman of God, you can start to fa- fail to recognize Jesus in your midst. You can sometimes lose your sense of amazement for what it is you've been called to be a part of. I, I don't know about you, but the, no- the more normal something becomes, the less pictures you seem to take. You know what I love is when people are busting out their phones in church and taking pictures of it. It's one of my favorite things to see because what it says is, man, this is so amazing. I got to capture the moments. You know, when you go to somewhere new and you see the Grand Canyon for the first time, do you sit there and go, cool. Or do you bust at your phone? You want to show the whole world, wow, breathing. I pray that we'd never lose our sense of amazement, the wow factor of our salvation, of what it is that we get to be a part of and the part that we get to play. You know, in Genesis 28, it says when, J- J- when Genesis 28 says when Jacob, one of the forefathers of our faith, Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when Jacob, you know, encountered God at the place Bethel, the house of God, when he came across God in the house of God, it says he, he awoke from his sleep and says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. I like how the message translation even says it. God is in this place truly and I did not know it. And he was terrified and he whispered in awe, incredible, wonderful, holy. This is God's house. This is the gate of heaven. And he christened that place and called it Bethel, which means the house of God. You know, I don't know about you, but my prayer is that when it comes to the house of God, don't only would we recognize that 
The house of God is where we come to meet with Jesus. I pray that we'd always recognize Jesus in our midst and never grow casual with the cause of Christ in our midst, that we'd never grow casual with the people that God has surrounded us with, but that equally, we would never lose our sense of amazement with what it is that God's called us to be a part of, the awe and the wonder of what it is that we get to be a part of. And I pray that it would never be lost in us. You know, Jesus' love for his house is so apparent in the word of God. John 2, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Psalm 69.9, my love for your house burns in me like a fire. Passion for your house has consumed me because zeal for your house has eaten me up in the New King James Version. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by washing her with water through the word to present to himself as a radiant church. You know, Jesus loves the church. And I pray that if we love Jesus, you know, I've heard it said that you can be you committed to the church, but not yet be committed to Christ. But I don't believe it's possible that you be com- you can be committed to Christ and not committed equally to the church. You know, God, Jesus loves this church. You cannot separate Christ from the church. He loves her. And I, I pray that in the same way we be found honor and respect in God's house, never going blind to what it is that God values so much that he'd be willing to lay his life down for. You often, it's often been said, you can verify the value of something by what one is willing to exchange for it, but give give up in exchange for it. And when you look at Jesus, who is willing to lay his own life down for the church, you recognize that what is happening right here in this moment, Jesus died so that we can have church. He died so that we could become the church. He died so that we could see the matters that, you know, I know the government may not see this as an essential service, but I want you to know that heaven's, this is an essential service of heaven. This is something where God did not anoint government, but he did anoint the church to go out and make disciples of all nations to heal the sick and cleanse the leper. Freely you have received, so freely give. Church, can I implore you here today to not grow familiar with the very thing that Jesus died to give us, the church, the family of God, the house of God. First First Timothy 3.15, I write to you, brothers, so you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. When I talk about the house of God and the church of, uh, of God, they are one and the same. The house of God is the church of the living God. And, and my prayer is that we'd never lose sight of that. God's heart for his house is huge. Look at First Chronicles 22.5. David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. The house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence, fame, and splendor. The house to be built ought to be full of, of great magnificence, fame, and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house with the name of the Lord my God, and it ought to be magnificent, full of fame and splendor. Can I just give you a few synonyms of what the house of God ought to be? Magnificent, great magnificence. In other words, superb, wonderful, splendid, marvelous, outstanding, arresting, full of grandeur, glorious, and brilliant. Magnificent. Some synonyms to fame. In other words, renowned, full of acclamation, eminent and of distinction, the talk of the town, the countryside, the kind of place where the world, uh, where the word goes out before it and it's a place of rapport and reputation. My prayer is that it would be that our, Waterloo and Kitchener, I pray that you'd be the talk of the town. I pray that you'd be full of renown, eminent and full of distinction. I pray that you'd be the place that is full of rapport and reputation and that you'd be full of splendor. In other words, luxurious, dazzle, 
majesty and richness instead of all the nations, in the sight of the nations, not in sight of other churches, in the sight of the nations, you would have such rapport and reputation with those you rub shoulders with and those who the city in which you're serving, that, that people would perceive the way that God always intended for you to look as the church. You know, David was a man of God's own heart. And what does it say that was in David's heart? Uh, heart? It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And what was it in the heart of David? According to 1 Kings 8, 17 and 18. 1 Kings 8, 17 and 18 says, now was time in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord. And the Lord said to David, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that that was in your heart. Can I just stress a couple things that I'm trying to stress here today? That when we maintain honor for the house of God, we will maintain our faith and the people and the men and the women of God who come into our midst to bring the word of God to us. I pray that we'd never lose our faith and grow cynical and critical as a result of growing overly familiar with the familia of God, the family of God. I pray that we'd always keep our sense of amazement with the house of God and always recognize and realize what it is, the part and, and what it is that we get to be a part of. You know, in Genesis, you know, um, Jacob was amazed at the house of God. He was not amused. He was amazed. And he said, how awesome is this place? He's full of awe and wonder. I pray that we keep that same awe and wonder of what it is that we get to be a part of. This is where the creator of the cosmos, the creator of the universe wants to partner with us and say, hey, how I want to use you in building what it is I'm building across the earth today. What a crazy thought. And so this is why when you put your, you have in your heart to build the house of God, God even says of David, whereas it was in your heart to build the house for my name, you did well that that was in your heart. Man, if you got want to look, look down on you and say, man, you did well to have that in your heart, then my prayer friend is you do just as David did and find yourself partnering with God and building and establishing the, the church. What did Jesus say after all in Mark, or Matthew 16? I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So hey, keep your faith and don't grow cynical or critical of those that God has called you to do life with. Hey, don't lose your sense of amazement, but stay amazed and in awe and wonder of all that God has do that God would cause you to, to, to realize the joy it is that it is to be a part of the church. And that's the third thing we can lose. If we lose our sense of honor for the house of God, we can lose our joy. You know, I've, I've said this a thousand times, but church ought to be our joy, not our job. Church is a joy, not our job. In First Corinthians 16, 15 to 18, you know, it was the house of Stephanus. They were the first converts in Achaia. And it says this, that Paul wrote of Stephanus and his house. So watch this. They were the first converts in Achaia. And it says, they have addicted themselves, according to the King James Version, they have addicted themselves to the service of the, service to the saints. They have addicted themselves to the service to the saints or of the saints. I don't know about you, but man, that sounds like somebody who has a heart for the house of God. Sounds more like a church junkie. Somebody who is so addicted to the things and the purposes and the plans of God that they just addict themselves to the servants of the saints. You know, I know some people like that. I'm sure you do too. But my prayer for you is that we'd be found in the house of God, honoring and giving our best to it. Knowing this, that we ought to find our joy in serving God. The Bible says in Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You know, serve the Lord with 
gladness, not with madness or worse yet, sadness. You know, there's some people who go, oh, and they whine and whinge every time they get asked to do anything at church. Or there's others who go, <clears throat> fine, and they're begrudging and all that they, they do. The Bible says, man, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And my prayer is that we'd always be found cheerful, full of gladness when we get asked to do anything in church because, hey, I, I don't know about you, but it was the big bad wolf that huffed and he puffed and threatened to blow the whole house down. Well, in the same way, it is that huff and this puff that... <clears throat> fine. That huff and puff. Man, I pray that we'd never look, we never look more like the big bad wolf when we huff and puff. My prayer is that we'd never lose sight of the awe and the wonder, the joy it is to serve God. Even David said, God restore to me the joy of my salvation. I'm praying for somebody out there who's lost sight of the wonder, who's lost sight of the joy. And now things become a job. The lost sight of the delight now has become a duty. I'm praying for somebody out there that you would discover again in you, the joy of your salvation, what it's like like to come through the doors of the church and experience the, the people of God and the presence of God and the promises of God for the first time. Friend, it is awe-inspiring. It is jaw-dropping. It is incredible. Hey, last thing you can lose when we kind of lose sight of honor in the house of God is we can lose sight of the spirit of generosity. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes within the church, we can lose sight of some of the standards that we ought to be operating in. I think that sometimes we, if we were to go, man, at my workplace, they'd never accept that. Or, or in this context of uh, elsewhere, they would never accept a standard like that. But somehow here it is acceptable. And we forget, here's what I believe it comes down to. We forget who it is that we're working for who it is that we're doing it all for. We're not working for man. We're not doing it. But if we're willing to do certain things that are even greater standard and greater quality for man or for a paycheck or for something like that and not for the house of God, man, I, can I encourage you? I believe that's an area where you may be home blind and you need to take evaluation and maybe look at something that's kind of blended in the landscape that needs some fixing in your life. You know, God deserves church our excellence, full stop. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 and the message says this, the house I am building has to be the best, David said, for God is the best, far better than competing gods. The house I am building has to be the best. I want to ask you, is this, is what you've been giving God lately your best? Excellence, don't mark excellence for perfect, don't mistake it for perfection. No one's perfect but God alone. But excellence, I think it really comes down to doing things, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, Colossians 3.23 says it like this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, excellence is about doing the best according to your abilities and doing your best with the resources that you've been allotted or given. You know, David or Daniel in chapter six, verse three, Daniel says, distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, an excellent spirit. He had a spirit of excellence in everything he did. And what does that mean? Well, according to Colossians 3.22, I think he, whatever he did, he did it with all his heart as working for the Lord and not for mere humans or other masters. Colossians 3.23 in the version and the message translation, it would say, like this. Don't just do the minimums, in other words, that will get you by. Do your best work. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your full inheritance. Keep in mind that always, always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Now, I don't encourage you 
that we'd be found, you know, being generous in the house of God, that we would not allow our honor to cause our generosity to wane. One of the first things I often see when people's heart begin to drift in the house of God and they fail to honor it the way it should be honored is that their joy begins to dwindle. Their, their generosity begins to wane. And oftentimes we begin to give our leftovers, our scraps second best. It's not, uh, you know, something that is in our, you know, comparatively speaking to our own abilities, it's not our best work. And my prayer is that we'd always be found bring what our best is to the house of God. Hey, friend, my, can I encourage you guys today in our Home Blind series is that you'd not grow blind to what an honor and a privilege it is to be a part of the house of God. That you'd not be blind to the fact that Jesus, the presence of God, is what distinguishes the house of God from all other houses. That the person of Jesus walks in our midst and I pray that we'd never go casual with the cause of Christ. That we'd never fail to recognize Jesus or those that God and that Jesus has appointed and anointed around us to lead us and to uh, guide us. You know, I pray that we'd never uh, lose our sense of amazement or our joy or our generosity, but that we'd always be found in the house of God. Hey, giving our best and taking and adopting an attitude like this. I'd like to close this message by saying this, by adopting an attitude that says, I can't believe that I get to do this and I can't believe who I get to do it with. I cannot believe I get to do this and I cannot believe who I get to do it with. You know, if this guy in London on the Antique Roadshow had a painting worth more than the house itself, I wonder who it is that's walking around, hanging around your space and place that we failed to recognize the value of. Man, can I encourage you? Let's be found a people who are willing to sacrifice, serve, and sow on behalf of the cause of the church so that, and the cause of Christ so that we can continue to see hope brought about in so many people's situations that find themselves navigating a hopeless situation, dark days during these quarantines, facing health crises and, and racial injustices and, and all these you know financial crises and economic crises. Man, never have I been more convinced of the time, the place, and the space of the church right now to rise up. This is not a season to ride out. This is a season for us to rise up. Arise and shine, church, for your light has come. The, the glory of the Lord shines upon you. Come on, somebody. And, and I'm just praying that we'd be found a light on a hill in this season, shining our light brightly for the Lord, seeing so many people brought to salvation in Him so we could see so many people's families Men, mended together, relationships restored, marriages just mended, and just so many great things coming about as a result. Hey, that about wraps up our message here this morning. But the truth is, I'd love to extend an invitation to anybody who's tuning in and teaming up with us this morning who needs to invite Jesus into your own life. You know, friend, we're having a message all about home blind, living blind to some of the things at home that could use some fixing up. And maybe in your life, there's things in your life that could use some reconciling with God. Maybe you need to make your peace with God. Well, the reality is, friend, I'm so grateful that Jesus honored the house of God so great, greatly when he was alive on earth and lived his life 2,000 years ago that he sacrificed his, his, himself on behalf of the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that he loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her and sacrificed himself on her behalf. You know, friend, today, I don't know if there's something that needs to be reconciled in your life, but I want to encourage you with this thought that Jesus loved you and loved the church so much that he gave himself up for you and took the penalty that was due to fall upon all of us, our law-breaking, our sinning, all of our faults and failures, all that could have been punished in us and in our bodies, Jesus took upon his and 
and stroke after stroke on that cross, God the Father exhausted the wrath of God against our law breaking and our sinning in the body of Jesus so that not one piece of it would fall on us. And the Bible says on account of that cross that Jesus now, will, uh, God will always act uh, with eternal and an everlasting kindness toward us. That his everlasting kindness will never depart from us. And I don't know about you, friend, but that encourages me so much. If Isaiah 54, my everlasting kindness shall never depart from you on account of the cross. And friend, the truth is that I want you to know something that God is not mad at you as maybe you suppose, or maybe you've, you've believed here this morning. God is not mad at you. He's actually mad about you. He's not holding your past over your, your head. Friend, he's not holding you hostage to your history. He's holding you hostage to your destiny. It's not where you've been. It's about where you're going. And God would love the privilege of leading you from this day forward as a Lord and Savior of your life. And so if you're comfortable in this place here this morning, if you know you need to get right with God and there's some fixing in your spirit that needs some fixing up, if you've been home blind to some of the things and the mess that's under the hood in your life, can I just encourage you? Bring it to Jesus, friend. He can make it whole. He can make a miracle out of that thing in your life. And I'm believing that the greatest days in your life are still in front of you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd be comfortable wherever there's space or place that you're occupying right now, unless you're driving a car, why don't you just <laughs> read this, say this out with me and, and kind of repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that 2,000 years ago, you took all, your fa- all my failure, all my faults, my law-breaking and sinning upon yourself so that I might receive your kindness and your goodness, your undeserved, unmerited kindness and goodness, your grace in and through my life. Jesus, today I ask that you'd become the Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward. Holy Spirit, come have your way in me. Lead me and guide me into all truth and the abundance of life that Jesus died to give me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we've got a a team of people in the chat. We'd love you to just let us know what's going on in your life, but we'd love to get in contact with you and help you forward in this decision that you've made. You know, journeying with Jesus is one of the most exciting things you can ever do, friend. I want to encourage you just to take this in step, all right? It's big, big, big uh, decision that you made here today, but we couldn't be more thrilled about it. Hey, listen, so much coming up in the life of service still. Got some closing things that are going to happen here following this moment. So we love you guys so much. I just want to give a big thank you to all of you guys for leaning in, listening, and learning from the Word of God here this morning with us. Uh, sending lots of love from Ottawa. And again, on behalf of Jules and I and in the My Church community, we love you guys at Slate. Keep going. Keep changing the world. Sending tons of love. We'll see you guys soon. Well, hey, what an incredible message from Pastor Caleb. Pastor Caleb, we just want to say thank you as a church for taking the time to speak that word and encourage us as a community. You've been speaking life into our church for a long time and we really appreciate it. We just want to say thank you so much for the time and the effort that you put into that. I'm excited to see how it impacts the lives of the people in our community and what God does in them through your obedience there. So thank you, really appreciate it. And hey, look, maybe you actually made a decision today to follow Jesus. Maybe you didn't click the button down there on the side that says I've made a decision to follow, but maybe you you prayed that 
prayer and you meant it in your heart as Pastor Caleb was praying. And I just wanna say, we would love to get to know you and actually uh, do life with you. It's a decision that's made in a moment, but it's meant to be lived out in relationship over time. It's not the end of anything, it's the beginning of a journey with Jesus. And so we would love to uh, to connect with you. So why don't you, there's a little button popping up, it says connect, we'd love for you to fill out a connect card. Maybe you've been coming to Slate Church for a long time and you haven't actually taken a step to join a connect group or to join a team or actually to get connected in any way. Uh, we'd love for you to hit that button that says connect and actually uh, fill out that connect card so that we could get to know you better. And if you're watching this after the live, you can always go uh, to our website, fill a connect card there. We would love to get to know you as well. And, uh, and look, maybe you don't wanna fill out a connect card now. Maybe you are gonna fill out a connect card now. Either way, we'd love for you to jump in and join Next Steps after this service. Uh, basically, Next Steps is just an opportunity to learn more about who we are as a church, what we do it, what we do, why we do it. And so we would love for you to jump in there and, uh, and just have a conversation with some of our leadership on, uh, in, in our Next Steps session. So look, it's been a great Sunday. We've had some amazing worship. We've had a phenomenal message. If you've got kids and if you're one of the families in our church, we've got some uh, content coming up in just a moment to point you to where you can kind of uh, do something together as a family this Sunday. But we wanna thank you for tuning in to Church Online. It's been a great Sunday and we will see you all soon. Kenzie, how's it going? Good, good, Thank mm -hmm. you.